Let's pray. Lord God, as we come now to open Your Word, to read it, to hear it proclaimed, we ask, O God, that Your Holy Spirit would help us to understand that we would see the importance this morning of forgiveness, especially when church discipline has been exercised. O Lord, we ask and pray that Your Holy Spirit would give us understanding today we give all the honor and glory to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able to remain standing, please do so and take your copies of God's Word and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians 1, we'll begin at verse 23 and we'll read through verse 11 of chapter 2. Hear now the word of God, it is infallible, it is inerrant, it is God speaking to us. So let us pay close attention. But I call God to witness against me. It was not to spare you that I refrain from coming again to Corinth, or it was to spare you. Not that we lowered it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. The grass withers and the flower fades away, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. <coughs> Two Lord's Day mornings ago, we... Look at verses 12 through 22 of 2 Corinthians 1. And we heard Paul boasting at the very beginning of that passage, boasting in the Corinthians and how God had brought them to faith. We then heard of Paul's change of plans and why those change of plans took place. And finally, his authenticity. Now again, there were some in 
the church of Corinth. They were saying to the Corinthian believers, you can't trust Paul. After all, he said he was coming to you and he didn't. He said he was going to visit you and he has not yet come. So you cannot trust him. And so Paul continues to write. The, the chapter division here is, is unfortunate. <coughs> because Paul continues to write about what we looked at last Sunday morning as well. He continues to speak about his visits to Corinth, about the consequences and effects. But we also have new material introduced here as well in the latter part of our passage. And it deals with something that Paul dealt with in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, if you remember that chapter, you know that Paul in that chapter wrote to the Corinthian church to deal with the man who was having an improper relationship with his father's wife. And so Paul wrote to them saying that that man must be disciplined by the church. And so why is church discipline important? We, we hear the outcome of the discipline here <coughs> this morning. But why is such discipline important? Well, it is important for the honor of Christ and the purity of the church. In order for the name of Christ not to be Sullied, there must be church discipline. In order for the church to remain pure, there must be church discipline. It is difficult, but it is necessary. Without church discipline, the church will become corrupt. Sin will grow in the church. And eventually, this, that sin that is not disciplined will infect the whole church. And church discipline is a mark of the true church of Jesus Christ. That's one of the things we learn not only from Scripture, but from the Reformers. If you are to be a true church of the Lord Jesus, then church discipline must be practiced. If there is no church discipline, there is no true church of the Lord Jesus. And so this morning, again, we see the outcome of that discipline that Paul encouraged and, and commanded really the Corinthian church to do back in 1 Corinthians. And we see or hear two things in our text this morning. We first hear of a, of a painful visit that Paul speaks of and then how the church is to forgive the sinner. But we begin with a painful visit in the latter part of chapter 1 and through verse 4 of chapter 2. In verse 23, Paul says, But I call God to witness against me. It will despair you that are refrained from coming again <coughs> to Corinth. Now, at the end of our text last week, Paul informed his readers that they belonged to God. And they knew that they belonged to God because God put his seal of ownership upon them and upon us, the Holy Spirit. Because of that, the Corinthians could count on God's faithfulness. And so Paul calls on God to be a witness of the truth. Paul here is saying, if I'm not telling the truth, that God has every reason to punish me. God has every reason to judge me. Paul knows that God is able to take his life if he should speak a lie. And so Paul is calling God as witness to, so that the Corinthians might know of why he did not come on that painful Visit. It was to spare them that pain. Paul here reveals the, the reason for not returning to Corinth as he had promised. 
Paul had visited them in an attempt to take care of the trouble in the church. And after this visit, he decided not to return so that the Corinthians might repent, but also so that Paul might demonstrate his love for them. He goes on in verse 24. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. In verse 23, Paul is using the singular. Here he's using the, the plural. And he speaks not of himself, but of, of the associates with him. Those who would go and preach with Paul. Those who had been with him in Corinth. He tells them, we, we do not have lordship over your faith. Now why would Paul say that? Well, he wants to avoid any ill will on the part of of the Corinthians. And he does so here by showing them goodwill and, and gentleness. We, we understand that all are free in the Lord. We are free in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know this morning? We are free in our conscience. But at the same time, we're obligated to help one another. So Paul writes that he and his partners, they do not lord it over the faith of the Corinthians. They are not tyrants. They are not dictators. They are ministers. And they desire to minister to them. And they are also helpers, he says. They are helpers in the fact that they work with the Corinthians for their joy as the Corinthians stand firm in their faith. Now, what is that faith? It is saving faith. It is Faith in Jesus. They are standing firm, even though there are troublemakers in their midst, even though there was a, a really big troublemaker in their midst that Paul mentions earlier in 1 Corinthians 5, that the Corinthians are still standing firm. And so Paul says again that he is joyful. Their joy for the Corinthians. He rejoices that the Corinthians are standing firm in their faith and developing their faith will bring stability, it will bring growth, it will bring happiness in the church in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why developing faith is so important. As Christians, we are called to grow. We are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, part of what you're doing here is to do that, to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we grow together as the body, there'll be stability, there'll be growth, there'll be happiness in Christ. And so Paul continues in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. He said, For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you, for if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? Paul says he has come to a decision not to visit, not to pay the Corinthians another visit. Why? Because it would bring grief. Now, Paul is not speaking of that initial stay in Corinth, but he, he's speaking of another visit uh, after he had composed 1 Corinthians. And Paul went. It was not a pleasurable thing. And he wanted to spare the Corinthians heartache. And he wanted to spare them that heartache and grief. 
that they had experienced before. And so in verse 3, he says, And I, I wrote as I did, so that when I, might, when I came, I might not suffer pain <clears throat> from those who have, should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of them all. Paul wrote to them to, and exhorted them to rectify the situation in the church. He wanted them to be joyful. He, he wanted them to be joyful in the Lord, to eliminate any hard feelings that had arisen between them. And he did not want to afflict his readers anymore. And Paul here is showing his love for the Corinthians. Now we know in 1 Corinthians, Paul was quite harsh, wasn't he? He was harsh upon them and they needed it. The church there was, was, was in great danger and Paul had to be harsh. And he even mentions that sorrowful letter that he wrote, which was to show them his love. And, and this reminds us of a parent, doesn't it? There are times where parents sternly reprove their, their sons or their daughters. Why? Because they love them. Children, if you are reproved by your parents, it's because they love you. Not because they want to ruin your fun. And so Paul here wants to show that kindness and love. And he says in verse 4, For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you all. The situation in Corinth calls Paul great, we might say overwhelming, Heartache. He was grieved by what had happened, and so he writes to them and he wrote to them so that they might know that he'd still loved them. So they might know that he cared for them. And so, second of all, he then takes that into the, the important thing that the church was to do concerning the sinner. And that was to forgive the sinner. Turn back for a moment to to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, because it is there that Paul spoke to them previously concerning this sinner. 1 Corinthians 5, beginning at verse 1, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and that of a kind that is not tolerated even among, even among pagans. <coughs> For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy 
And the swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexual morality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. And so Paul was clear, wasn't he, in 1 Corinthians, what they were to do with this man. And so what is the outcome? Well, the outcome is this, that this man had repented. And that's the purpose of discipline, isn't it? Anytime a member of the church is disciplined by the church, it's not to embarrass them. It's not to make them look bad. The ultimate purpose is so that they will repent of their sin that they so stubbornly would not repent of until the discipline came and be restored fully to the church. In verse 5, Paul says, Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. Seems that Paul hesitates for a moment as he writes this verse. The thought Paul tries to express is that a certain man has brought grief to the church. A certain man brought grief (coughs) to Paul. The presence of this person would affect the entire congregation much as a, a bit of yeast leavens the entire batch of dough. And so again, Paul writes concerning this man. And notice what he says in verse 6. For such a one, the punishment or this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. The church did what Paul had commanded. They dealt with this man. No doubt they even put him out of the church. Handed him over to Satan as Paul had commanded. And now Paul says that is enough. He has repented. He has turned from his sin. And so what were they to do then? They were to forgive this man and comfort him. They were to be merciful to the penitent sinner. They were not to prolong the duration of his punishment. Now that he had repented, they must change their thinking from removal to acceptance and receive this man once again as a brother from condemnation to Restoration from judgment to forgiveness, from indignation to encouragement. That's what happens when a person is disciplined in the church and they come with true, genuine repentance and they confess that sin, then that person is to be restored. Simon Kistemacher put it this way if there is genuine repentance, there must be full scale. Reinstatement. If God forgives the sinner, the church must do no less. 
We are to forgive, are we not? We are to forgive the sinner who has repented of their sin in the context of the church. And this forgiveness, as Paul reminds the church, must be full. Not a partial forgiveness. Christian, are you glad that God does not partially forgive you? But that in Christ you are forgiven in full? If there's partial forgiveness, guess what? You and I, we would have to suffer in hell for that part that Christ has not forgiven. And so the church is to be a place when the disciplined member repents that he is welcomed back. So that he would not have excessive sorrow. Paul continues in verse 8, So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him, for this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. The Corinthians all were to forgive this man. <coughs> they were to affirm their love for this man. John Calvin said, stated this, Whenever we fail to comfort those that are moved to a sincere confession of their sin, we play into Satan's hands. Now why is that? Well, if we do not reaffirm our love for the, the sinner who is repented and being restored back to the church, and that sinner is discouraged, and they think, well, what was the use in that? Why did I confess my sin before the church and repent of it if this is how I'm going to be treated by those who claim to love me? And so Paul wanted to know whether the Corinthians would be obedient. Whether they would listen. Whether they would administer the church censure to keep the church pure. But now, he says at the same time, he, he counsels them to restore this repentant sinner in Christian love. And he goes on in verse 10, Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what have I forgiven if I have forgiven anything has been for your sake in the presence of Christ so that we would not be outwitted by Satan for we are not ignorant of his designs. Paul says that he forgives this man just as the church forgives. That he holds no grudge against the offender. That he holds no grudges against the Corinthians and he notes that he and the Corinthians, they are not unaware of Satan's desire. What is that desire? What was the desire of Satan for Peter to sift him like wheat? And that is the same desire that Satan has here this morning with us. To sift us as wheat and to cause us spiritual ruin. Paul is reminding them of something very important that we need to often remind ourselves to, to harbor ill will toward a repentant sinner instead of showing love and mercy and grace. This plays right into the hands of, of Satan. Satan hates forgiveness. True forgiveness. Now he loves that partial forgiveness that we are so inclined to give to someone, right? We say we forgive them and then we get mad at them again and we bring it back up. That is not biblical forgiveness. When God forgives us, He forgives us fully. 
And we are forgiven fully through Christ who has paid the full price for our sins. You see, the devil, he hates forgiveness. He hates Christian love. He wants to see despondency and despair and darkness. And so Paul here is teaching the Corinthians to forgive one another. (coughs) To forgive one another in love just as Christ has forgiven them. And so this brings us to our first point of application. And it is this, that grudges in the congregation are and will be quickly exploited by Satan to undermine the church's spiritual health. The devil, he will capitalize on insults. He will capitalize on insults that remain unforgiven and unresolved. In the church. He does this by deluding people. By causing us uh, to foster a spirit of, of animosity that divides and scatters. You know, there's enough animosity in the world. Why is there animosity in the church? There's enough in this fallen world where people will hold a grudge against another person But it should not be so in the church of Jesus Christ. We're all sinners. Yes, we do things that are wrong uh, towards God and towards one another. But yet there must be forgiveness. If not, then we let Satan win. Now what is the purpose of the church over against the kingdom of Satan? There's one purpose of the church. It is to ultimately decimate and destroy this pitiful kingdom that Satan says he has. And if we're divided, then we cannot do the work that God has called us to do. You see, it's Satan's design to to frustrate the work of Christ and His church on earth. And he loves nothing more than to scatter the people of God. And, And when he does that, he is able for a moment... To block the advancement of the church and the kingdom. Now it will be short lived. We know that. But Christian we are not. To hold grudges. We are not to let unforgiveness destroy the church or destroy you. And that's exactly what will happen. Second of all we need to understand that. Church discipline is is necessary. Again, it's it's always painful. It's never pleasant. I can think of the the, the few cases we have had here in the last 15 years. They have never been pleasant cases to deal with. There were times, and we're honest, we, we as Presbyterians, we moved too slow. And there were times we moved too slow. But part of that was because it's not anything any elder really wants to do. We don't want to discipline members. We don't want to excommunicate those whom we have fellowship with. But it's necessary. And so what is the goal? The goal is the full restoration of the sinner. That's the goal. The goal is this, that whatever sin the person is committing, that they will turn from that sin... Turn to Christ who will forgive them fully as they repent. 
And then they will be fully restored in the church. Now, we don't start out with that communication, do we? No, we begin with admonishment. A brother or sister is admonished in the Lord. That could be from the pastor, from one elder. And then if, they're not, if it's not heated, then it goes before the whole session. <clears throat> and it's still not heated. Then there'll be suspension from the sacraments. Excommunication is the last step. But even with that, the goal is restoration. The goal is that sinner will see the danger that they are in. And they will come and they will truly repent. And when they do, church, we are to forgive them. Now you might say, well, that's easy if the sin is not against you. What if it's against me? Guess what? You are to forgive them as well. Remember one day Peter came to Jesus and he said, Lord, I have a brother who sins against me. How often should I forgive him? Seven times. Surely that's enough, right, Jesus? Seven times. That is more than generous. What did Jesus say to Peter? Peter, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now what was Jesus saying? He was saying this, that whenever a brother sins against us and they recognize that sin... And they come to us and they say, I repent of my sin that I've committed against you and against God. Then we are to forgive them. Now, why is that? Well, because God has forgiven us. Let me ask you, how many sins did you commit this week? Would you number them for me this morning? I, I doubt it. I, I wouldn't number not mine either. But there were many sins, correct? We've committed many sins this week. Against God. And every time we have repented of those sins, what has God done? He has forgiven us. And that should be the way it is between brothers and sisters in the Lord. We sin, yes, we will sin against one another. We may sin a lot against one another, but when there is true repentance, there is to be true forgiveness. You see, we are to forgive much because God through Christ has forgiven much. And we see that this morning in the Lord's Supper, do we not? We see the forgiveness of God through Jesus. And you see, the forgiveness we have from God through the Lord Jesus Christ calls or calls the Lord His very life. He died on a cross. And when we think of how cruel that physical death was, what about what he suffered spiritually? Three hours of hell upon the cross. The full wrath of God being poured out upon the Son so that we sinners would be forgiven of our sins. So that we sinners might forgive one another. And so are you forgiven this morning? Are your sins forgiven? There's only one way to know for sure. And that is to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. He alone can forgive you. He alone can forgive you because He has paid the price in full. He has paid that price in full for any who would come to Him in faith. And so maybe you're here today and you don't know if your sins are forgiven or not. Maybe there's some doubt. Then I would implore you, turn from your sins. 
<coughs> and come and believe in Jesus. Fall at His feet. And Lord Jesus, save me. I'm a sinner. If you do that in faith, if you turn from your sin, He will save you. God forgives much through Christ. God forgives all through His Son. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You this morning for Your Word and this reminder that we, we need. We always need to be reminded, O oh Lord, of how we are to forgive one another in the church. And Father, we thank You for the reminder this morning as well of how You have forgiven us through Your Son. Oh Lord, I pray for any here today that does not know of that forgiveness that is found in Jesus, that you would show them that forgiveness that is theirs. If they would simply turn from their sin and come and fall at the feet of Christ and find salvation in Him, in Him alone. Oh Lord God, I pray that as we come to the table this morning that we would come free of grudges against any brother or sister. And that we would come trusting solely in Jesus. And oh Lord, we thank you this morning that as we trust in Christ, all of our sins are forgiven. And you will not remember any of our sins against us. Not today or not the last day. Because Jesus has paid the price. Bless not only your word that has been proclaimed, but bless this sacrament. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.